and thanks for joining us for Episode 8 of Speaking of MedTech, a podcast series from MedTech Insight on all things medical devices. I'm MedTech Insight Executive Editor Sean Schmidt. And I'm Steve Silverman, a former compliance director for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Device Center. I'm now head of the Silverman Group, a consultancy for industry. Today, Steve and I are talking about a subject that's near and dear to, I think, both of our hearts, and that's medical device quality. Too often, quality is overshadowed by regulatory and compliance, and sadly, some see quality as an impediment to getting product out and into the marketplace rather than a concept that will help a company save money, reputation, and often patient lives. So, Steve, let's start with the fundamentals of quality, what device quality is all about, why there's no standard definition for the concept of quality, and let's also talk about the difference between quality and compliance, which is such an important distinction. First, Sean, I'll start with an admission and a story. Here's the admission. Lots of people associate my past work with FDA's Center for Devices, or CDRH, with device quality, and I'm happy to have that recognition, but I didn't come up with the idea. The initial push came from the center's director, Jeff Shuren. I served CDRH as Office of Compliance Director, and more than a decade ago, Jeff came to me to talk about device regulatory compliance. His focus was what we as regulators, could do to work collaboratively with stakeholders like industry to treat compliance as a baseline, table stakes, to make and sell devices. The real goal is device quality as it pertains to finished devices and their design and production. That was the start of the case for quality, which we're going to talk more about. I've definitely been a champion for this initiative, but Jeff holds the intellectual property rights. So what do we mean by, quote, device quality? Interestingly, this term is not nearly as well-defined as regulatory compliance. For example, I've seen quality defined as a focus on product and manufacturing practice excellence, and I think that this characterization is true. I also think that quality can be defined more expansively to encompass other key practices like leveraging technology and regulatory improvements. And I think that this more expansive view makes sense. The point here is that compliance is a baseline, and we are pushing to go beyond it. Our goal is excellent product and process characteristics. What those characteristics are and how we can best achieve them evolves over time. As important the meaning of these characteristics changes from manufacturer to manufacturer. You know, that's absolutely true. And obviously, other big industries, um, you know, off the top of my head, the two biggies that I can think of are automotive and aviation. They're both ahead of the medtech industry when it comes to quality and making it an industry-wide concern. You know, because when you're talking about an automobile or an airplane, there's absolutely no room for error. And I'm surprised that medtech doesn't always see quality the same way, given that patient lives are often on the line. So let's talk about those other industries a bit and how they use quality to ensure the best outcomes. Look, Sean, I qualify your comments a bit. 
So in my experience, leaders in the device industry see and push for quality in just the same way as industries like aviation and automotive. The difference between devices and other industries is not will or commitment, it's uptake. And that makes sense. Look, for decades, CDRH promoted compliance with the device quality system requirements. Then, more than 10 years ago, CDRH started building on this message. Regulatory compliance doesn't go away. It's just recharacterized as a baseline with quality as the objective. And in adopting and promoting this objective, both CDRH and device makers follow product sectors like aviation and automotive. And to be fair, even those industry members that remain compliance-focused don't have a cavalier approach to safety. Those firms would tell you, and rightly so, that safety is an absolute priority and that they achieve it through regulatory compliance. I believe that we can go beyond compliance to a quality focus, but that's not to say that compliance is without value. Okay, let's talk about CDRH's relationship with device makers and quality. Obviously, quality is of paramount importance to the center. No question. CDRH is down for quality. First, the center established the Case for Quality initiative. Then, it tasked the Medical Device Innovation Consortium, also known as MDIC, with the job of managing and driving that initiative. And even more recently, with CDRH buy-in, the Case for Quality became a collaborative community. These are forums where public and private stakeholders work together on common objectives, in this case, device quality. This pro-quality approach also makes sense given CDRH's total product lifecycle approach. The device center wants to work with stakeholders on an integrated approach to device review and marketing. This starts with product development and pre-market review, continues to manufacturing and distribution, and even extends to product end-of-life activities. Quality spans these activities from product design to product retirement. So aside from the case for quality with MDIC, in what other ways does the FDA's device center promote quality? The case for quality is the primary mechanism, and this singularity makes sense. Resources to promote device quality are scarce, so why not put all the eggs in one basket in this case? Spreading them out risks diluting resources. Instead, CDRH has an energy source for messaging, visibility, and innovation. So let me also talk about what the term case for quality means. The term is an umbrella phrase. Yes, it refers to a device quality-based initiative, but it also encompasses the many specific initiatives under the case for quality umbrella. Some of those initiatives are very FDA-centric. For example, the Case for Quality Voluntary Improvement Program, or VIP, uses a new FDA regulatory approach to check and improve device quality operations. There, FDA is front and center. But contrast the VIP with the Case for Quality Culture Initiative, which is decentralized, industry-focused, and does not rely on FDA. These two different initiatives live side-by-side, and what unites them is that they both promote device quality. So we know where FDA lands when it comes to promoting quality, 
But what about industry? Are all manufacturers in the same boat in wanting to make sure they're operating at a high level of quality? I'm thinking no. The answer is no. Not all manufacturers are in the same boat. And let's talk about why that is. It's not due to a lack of commitment from device makers. Instead, it's a question of resources and capability. Here's an example of what I mean. Imagine that you're operating a mid-sized device company that's been making and marketing the same device for years. Your devices have some risks, and they're subject to quality system requirements. And every couple of years, FDA comes by to check your operation. Your orientation and FDA inspections are compliance-focused. The dominant question for you is, are you complying with the quality system requirements? And if you are, there's no compelling reason to do anything different. Are you crosswise with FDA? No, not if you continue to comply with quality requirements. The challenge, and it's an important one, is to incentivize you to go beyond compliance to product and process quality. And that challenge of going beyond compliance to quality is even more acute for device startups. These companies' entire orientation may be only on getting across the pre-market finish line. That doesn't leave much room for a quality orientation. Still, doing quality right offers marketing advantages. Even if acquisition is the end game, companies that know how to make and sell quality devices are better acquisition targets. So device firms don't have a uniform approach to quality. So what are the differences and why do those differences exist? And how do we get the firms that are lagging behind to buy into quality before it's too late and they end up with, say, a recall action on their hands after their device ends up killing or maiming people? Just to be clear, quality principles extend to many situations less dire than the ones you're describing, Sean. A company's decision to recall a product, for example, can show strong quality practices where the recall results from proactive, timely device surveillance. And that's true even when there are injuries. Quality is an operating model that applies to all device makers, from new firms to well-established ones that sell devices around the world. The trick is for all of these firms to show them that quality matters. You know, maybe there needs to be an even greater push for device companies to understand that there are business advantages to embracing quality, like market share or quicker regulatory review. And how could that be done? It comes down to incentives. For device companies that embrace quality, defining it as an endpoint past compliance, what do they get for that push? As you say, Sean, can FDA provide incentives like faster review or limited regulatory intervention? Sometimes. We see this later touch in the Case for Quality Voluntary Improvement Program, for example, where FDA lets participants work with outside consultants to flag and promote device quality. And this process takes the place of FDA surveillance inspections. That translates into faster, more flexible product oversight that's tied to metrics that FDA and device makers agree show quality. But is quality a competitive differentiator? Can a company use its quality to convince customers to buy its products instead of competitor products? I'm not so sure. 
it's hard for device makers to credibly show that their products have superior quality and customers aren't used to that metric. It's not like buying a car where consumer reports will tell you that a Toyota, for example, performs better than a Yugo. The right metrics for side-by-side comparisons for devices haven't yet been developed, and that's a priority goal. Well, you're really reaching back there with the uh, Yugo reference. But, uh, okay, so let's move beyond the manufacturing of product and ensuring quality in that process. What about other places where quality is a driving factor? Maybe device design, complaint handling, and like I mentioned earlier, recalls. Where does quality fit in there? Insofar as quality is an orientating driver, I think that extends to all of those points. Across device design, complaint handling, and recalls, FDA regulation is a baseline. Put differently, compliance is table stakes. The goal is for device makers to move beyond this baseline towards quality excellence. But what does excellence mean when it comes to things like recalls, for example? It may mean minimizing recalls through robust device design and production practices, or it may mean a proactive stance when, despite those practices, problems occur. In those cases, a quality orientation drives the company's decision to conduct a recall. This can exist independent of FDA expectations, resulting simply from a company's quality performance objectives. You know, over many years, I've heard that the best way for quality to get attention inside a device company is to get top management on board and to explain how they'd save money by ensuring a higher level of quality. Because money talks, right? There's no question that money is part of the equation, Sean. Device makers operate to make money, plain and simple. So there must be strong business incentives behind quality initiatives. That's where things like better regulatory experiences, increased market share, and customer satisfaction come into play. Without such factors, it's hard to see how quality initiatives are sustainable. But let's make an important point here. It's wrong to think of device executives as a bunch of Scrooge McDucks swimming in pools of money and dreaming about how to make even more money. Real life is just much more nuanced. Device companies are populated by lots of people, including executives, who come to work because they believe in their company's missions. And those missions are not make more money. Instead, they're all variations on the theme of improving patient lives through technology that addresses critical health needs. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning, not shareholder dividend statements, or at least not those statements exclusively. So look, Sean, is this view naive? I don't think so. Yes, there are outliers, but I've lived and worked in the device space for a while, and what I'm telling you is what I've seen, and that includes during my time at FDA. So what are some reasons why a device maker has problems achieving that higher level of quality? Is it, you know, simply a matter of having more resources and incentives? And if so, who should provide those? That's an excellent question. Definitely. Part of the answer comes down to resources and incentives, but there are other factors I think that are just as important. So let me highlight one example, which is expertise. Let's go back to the contrast between quality and compliance. Companies have tons of resources to help them understand compliance. They have regulations, guidances, and even independent advisors. 
But quality is something different. There's no question that it's a bit more amorphous. I conceded this at the start of the podcast when I said that there's no standard definition for device quality, and quality means different things for different companies. I think that this flexible approach makes sense, but it absolutely creates a lack of certainty and risks confusion. So some companies may have the absolutely correct perspective. They're 100% committed to quality. But these same companies have to figure out what quality means for them and how best to achieve it. Answering these questions and putting procedures behind the answers takes time. That can slow progress. You know, I touched on it earlier about an organization-wide approach to quality and a quality culture. So what does that mean to you, Steve, for a manufacturer to have a culture of quality? Without doubt, Sean, the definition of quality is going to change from firm to firm. But there are characteristics that span all organizations that embrace quality. First, for all these organizations, their endpoint is quality. That's different from superior to and requires greater commitment than basic compliance. Communicating and promoting this endpoint is at the core of FDA's quality efforts, and it guides the case for quality collaborative community. Second, quality requires organizational adoption from senior management to frontline staff. As important, all of these participants play their parts. Unless senior managers champion quality, quality initiatives will fail. But they will also fail, maybe even faster, without full staff endorsement and contribution. Last, and this is an extension of the previous point, quality is an organization-wide objective. Yes, businesses may and often do have quality professionals, and those professionals may be responsible for assuring manufacturing quality, but real quality adoption is a cross-business push. It sounds to me like maybe there are some factors that are slowing adoption of device quality, right? And how does industry overcome those factors? We've talked about this a bit, Sean, and I stand by what I've said. At the start and end of the day, we've got to be asking, what are the incentives? Why is it in device makers' interest to set quality as an endpoint rather than regulatory compliance? And the answer comes down to at least two factors. First are the regulatory gains. These are the advantages to firms that show quality design and production. Those advantages can range from the Case for Quality Voluntary Improvement Program, where firms identify and achieve quality drivers in spaces traditionally reserved for surveillance inspections, to simplified and expedited CDRH review for certain post-market submissions. Incentives likewise signify business advantage. This is what we've talked about before, when customers can differentiate medical device companies based on quality, and when they pick companies because they make higher quality devices, then there will be tangible business incentives to make those devices. Okay, and with that, we'll close out today's podcast. Our next episode of Speaking of MedTech will build on this discussion of quality by focusing on the FDA's proposed Quality Management System Regulation, or QMSR, which will replace and modernize the agency's decades-old quality system regulation for manufacturing safe and effective devices. So do check that out in a few weeks. Should be a lively discussion.
In the meantime, remember, you can check out the first seven episodes of Speaking of MedTech online now at MedTechInsight.com. And while you're there, listen to MedTech Insight's weekly Device Week podcast, where our journalists talk about current events in the MedTech space. And always remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening.